1: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. It is week one Friday. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig. Tons of DFS and matchup related talk here on this Friday. This podcast is now available for subscription on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you're listening to us on either of those platforms, we'd really appreciate it. If you could leave us a nice review, a couple of quick news items to get to here. We're also going to look at the Thursday night game between the Steelers and Patriots. Break that down for you before we start diving into the final matchup thoughts for week one. Mike Evans is back at practice Here on Friday, Mario has been slowed by a hamstring injury for a massive portion of the preseason, but it seems like he'll be available at least in some capacity for that Bucks Titans game on Sunday. I think anytime you have a player who's been so limited, Elshon Jeffrey kind of fits into this description, too. You probably stay away in a place like DraftKings, but at least in your season long leagues to have Evans available he's still probably at a must-start sort of level unless you have just crazy good receiver depth.
2: Yeah, I guess the size of your league would play a large role in determining whether you can pivot off of someone like Evans if he's active, if he's declared active. Um, it's hard to tell whether he got any you know, traditional practice work in today or if it was more like a padless, like, don't forget these are the plays you guys kind of practice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, at least with Evans, it feels like we're getting a little bit more transparency uh with his situation then we're getting with jeffrey in chicago i mean the, if the buccaneers wanted to they could have listed evans as a limited participant every day and just you know screwed with their definition of what participation is um which is very possibly what the bears are doing for all we know jeffrey didn't do like really anything relevant to actual football this week so it's hard to trust the bears with the with the buccaneers you can kind of trust them it's like evans is not near full health and if he plays he'll be limited um but yeah, so he's he's a very, very elite athletic talent, even if he's only like 85%, that still makes him more imposing than the vast majority of receivers, and there's only otherwise on that offense. I mean, just Vincent Jackson and Austin Safarian Jenkins and Doug Martin as viable pass catchers, really. So even if he's not at full strength, as long as they give him the snaps, I think he should be able to give most of his owners something useful in week one but uh yeah it's definitely not great to see that no practice limited friday game time decision combination there yeah i think with evans too
1: you get the benefit for like vincent jackson you know
2: like just having evans on the field draws
1: attention away from jackson could make things easier for him uh, in the official debut of Jameis winston eli manning getting a contract extension from the giants four years 84 million dollars because you know eli manning definitely needs more money this contract doesn't happen without Odell Beckham. Like Odell Beckham single-handedly earned this extension for Eli Manning.
2: That that's true. If if Odell ever establishes a dictatorship in North America, I think he can definitely claim that Eli owes him some percentage of of this deal here. Um, yeah, I mean, his, his Eli looked like he was just like on the way out until Odell came in doing the one-handed everything backflip etc routine um but yeah that's that's a deal i think the giants kind of have to make because odell's around so even if eli wouldn't be there wouldn't be productive wouldn't be worth it without odell there odell's there so it's uh makes sense i think to keep him because also it's just there's no good quarterbacks in college there's, I shouldn't say so flippantly <laughs> there are there are you know a handful of decent college football quarterback prospects for NFL purposes but not many and like the ones that everybody likes the most are not necessarily going to come out this year it's not a given so if you have anybody who's near the league average at quarterback it's kind of madness in this era to not lock them up yeah you got to pay anybody at or above the Joe Flacco line I think right now if you're an NFL team Flacco and a above
1: our all elite quarterbacks <laughs> that's the only take we could possibly have Taking a look at the game from last night Steelers falling on the road in New England Gronk going off three TDs in this one Scott Chandler vultured one from him they had a play that was designed where they split Gronk out wide <laughs> put Chandler in the slot and then just crossed them Chandler barely got in too so you think about that as one that should have also probably gone to Gronk and great game from him Uh, Tom Brady obviously played very well last night as well Steelers defense at times looked like they had no interest in even covering Gronk which it seems like a great way to play defense
2: yeah uh, that's kind of weird because going into the game they've said very specifically like yeah we're not really going to do anything else we're just going to like try to press him a ton at the line but Gronk's the best tight end like ever in my opinion I don't i don't think there's ever been a player like this there might not be another one but he just we know when he gets targets he scores like it'll be seven or eight passes you throw to him he will score before long and if if he doesn't and it's been you know 12 targets without a touchdown you know he's going to score three in the next 10 so this is just you know applying those averages into a scenario where they don't have lafell they don't have legarrett blount so yeah the usage was this this was a huge game obviously but a predictable one i think um is obviously it's easier to say that in hindsight but like the the fourth touchdown was very realistic obviously yeah it could have definitely happened and what they did the third one that
1: gronk scored was the patriots fourth of the night it was a similar look. They put Chandler in the slot again, put Gronk out wide, and just kind of faded it to him to the back pile. And there's nothing, there's no way to cover it. There's nothing you can do whatsoever. So they kind of set up the play for the third one with what they did previously, throwing one to Chandler. That was Scott Chandler's only target, by the way. There were some people out there on Twitter in this industry uh, really pushing Chandler as a guy that was almost like a must pick up, oh, going to catch seven or eight do we have TDs. To do
2: It's just like Aaron Hernandez has been in prison how long, and we still think that there's Aaron Hernandez this week. Like, come on, it's not they—they made a special role for that guy because his talent merited it. Uh, Tim Wright scott chandler not the same thing right Right. there's not a there's not a predetermined te2 role where someone's gonna get 10 touchdowns in that offense but if there's someone good enough they'll make room those guys aren't good enough
1: if there's anything this offense is missing right now i think it is a deep threat aaron dobson one catch for nine yards only targeted one time and it's his third year now but he missed a good chunk of year two he has the size and speed to maybe become that guy. Is there any reason to be optimistic about him in a season-long context? Even though his performance on Thursday night was a quiet one.
2: Well, his outlook is definitely improved with, uh, you know, LaFell being unavailable. If, if if LaFell had been available, I would not care about Dobson at all. But we know that Brady is going to have a certain level of efficiency as a passer, almost regardless of who the personnel around him is, and uh, we know somebody other than Adelman and Gronkowski will eventually get targets because those guys aren't going to go for, you know, 1500 yards each. So, it's it's there for Dobson to take. I'm not particularly high on him as like a prospect in terms of his talent or skill set really. He just kind of I've always like my comparison for him even back at Marshall was just kind of mid to late career Roy Williams where it's like, yeah, he's big and he's fast, but and he can make some plays, but if you're expecting reliability, you might get burned a bit so he's I think he's in his natural you know like third fourth receiver type of role I don't as much as he's athletic enough to do more I don't know that he's the kind of player to do it I think they just seem more content as
1: an offense to lean on Gronk and then have Edelman doing his work in the shorter intermediate routes which works really well how much do you think having Gronk makes Edelman more effective or is it really a case where Edelman could be the same player even if Gronk were down with an injury
2: Edelman is really good at what he does, but I don't know that he can do much else. Like he's he's obviously a great runner after the catch, and he's athletic enough to create underneath separation. But we haven't really seen him do that downfield, and that's what Gronk takes care of. Is you you have to put two people on Gronkowski because as much as he's known as like the unstoppable red zone guy, he can also take the top off your defense if your safety bites forward and you don't have someone able to catch up with him because. He's, I mean, that big as fast as he is, that's a nightmare matchup down the seam. So uh, he opens things up for Edelman and probably creates some of that after the catch room that Edelman always does such a good job of exploiting. Um, But yeah, I think Edelman's a totally good, well above average starting receiver in the NFL. I just, I don't know that he'd ever be quite as, I mean, he wouldn't be quite as good as he is without Gronkowski there. And I think if Gronkowski were to, you know, miss time with an injury or something, I don't know that Adelman's numbers would go up much aside from the reception count like I can I can imagine that resulting in like two and a half fewer yards per catch if that happens yeah
1: you could definitely see that unfolding uh, Brady finished 25 of 32 for 288 yards the four TDs I mentioned nine yards per attempt he was sacked twice but Steelers defense, as I said before, really didn't look good in this one. Dion Lewis ended up being the Patriots back of choice. 15 carries for 69 yards. Looked pretty good. Looked elusive. Uh, Kind of an undersized guy, but one that could be uh, kind of useful as the PPR guy now that LeGarrette Blunt's suspension is over. But I I just think if you're leaning on Dion Lewis, it pretty much has to be a full point PPR league to even consider him as a flex option going into week two
2: yeah it's it's hard to know exactly how that offense is going to look without Shane Vereen there there's definitely a good number of snaps available and a good number of passing targets available without him there and especially with LaFell out you know compounding that but it's it's really hard to tell what it, you can never know what exactly Belichick envisions any particular player for obviously Jonas Gray totally good enough for their system he can get you 200 yards we know this and yet he doesn't value him uh and i mean the broader point there is that running backs are disposable it's easy to find a good enough running back especially if you have a quarterback who creates as many touchdowns and as much yardage per pass as brady does so if there's a player who has a role there they should be useful and lewis seems like he has the right skill set for it um but as you mentioned in the the notes here he had a fumble and uh belichick for as is you know ahead of the curve as he's been for pretty much all of his NFL career as a head coach he still does that stupid uh, superstitious thing where he benches a guy after he fumbles as if uh, either th- a f- fumbling once makes you more likely to fumble again which i don't think any data supports um you know b- barring like a broad history of doing it repeatedly um, but yeah, it's like Belichick thinks like, oh, he fumbled five minutes ago. He's gonna do it in five more minutes unless we keep him out for the rest of the game. Um, he does stuff like that. Uh, or maybe it's punitive, like he he thinks that the player uh previously was completely okay and consented to fumbling on the field as if running backs don't realize that that's something they're not supposed to do. So, um, be it even if he has some basis in reasoning, we'll never know what it is. So predicting exactly how he'll use that running back personnel. Is just kind of a a, it's just a pointless task. Well, I felt like with the fumble that
1: Lewis had it was actually a good defensive play. The ball was stripped. I think it was Mike Mitchell, the Steelers' safety, just got in there and just ripped the ball out. It wasn't like he was careless with the ball.
2: Yeah, uh, I I don't I don't I don't know what exactly the criteria is for to meet you know Belichick's ball security standards. I remember there was something weird with Ridley when he pulled Ridley two years ago. Um, it was something like he kept him in the game because the review showed that he was down first There's something. It's like, I mean, it's still, still outcome based. Yeah, it's like, like
1: you, you look at how was he running in a way that was leaving the ball exposed
2: right, or not. Yeah. Like the, but I don't know if he looks at that stuff. I think he just looks at like the like fumble happened. Bad, bad bad player must punish that's a strange strange thing for a guy as you said especially because he was going we've seen because at the time the alternative was blunt who had a history of fumbling <laughs> but really never did so just yeah nope didn't seem to be based in like data reasoning it seemed like it was just kind of an impulsive management style with
1: only 32 attempts uh, julian edelman targeted 12 times 11 catches for 97 yards gronk eight targets five for 94 the three touchdowns that we talked about before Dion lewis four for 51 on five targets along with 69 yards in the ground so 120 from scrimmage for him. If you picked him up and threw him in your lineup, it paid off uh, from a season-long standpoint. The other guy in this offense I want to talk about before we look at the Steelers is Danny Amendola, only targeted three times on Thursday night. He was another player that there was some buzz, some late buzz as far as PPR value, especially after Brandon LaFell was uh, officially placed on the IR designated to return. That The idea was that Amendola just would by default have to catch more passes. Well, it's possible that the Patriots will have more games where Brady only attempts 32 passes. But I do think there is something to the idea that Amendola is probably the fourth option here. I think whichever running backs catching passes are the third option behind Edelman and Gronk. And there will be some weeks where Amendola catches five or six balls. Maybe he finds his way into the end zone. But I think week-to-week value, even in a full-point PPR league could be somewhat elusive there.
2: Yeah, I don't, I can't really foresee the basis in which, uh, Amandola would be useful for fantasy people just because it's 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 so hard to predict the conditions in which he can actually get what you need from him and basically like we know it's not going to be by scheme we know it's not going to be by skill because he's not good and basically what you need for him to get open is like he he just happens to get good matchups against a, a cornerback who isn't playing well and Edelman's getting someone who is covering well and so Brady goes to him as just the most open guy but calling something like that ahead of time is just almost impossible because Edelman's good he just gets open a lot on his own and you know again like he has an easier task to begin with because Gronkowski pushes the safeties back so I don't I don't see Amendola doing anything on a predictable basis especially if Lewis remains a viable pass catcher in the backfield
1: I'm rooting for the big play from Alan Hearns in the stake league I decided not to use Amendola 16 team league three receivers no PPR just seemed like a big play from Hearns is more likely than Amendola getting the extreme volume he needs to be productive in a format like that on the Steelers side Ben Roethlisberger goes 26 of 38 for 351 9.2 yards per attempt one TD one pick narrowly missed the second TD right before halftime uh, he found Darius Hayward Bay in the end zone Hayward Bay's like heel was on the line out of bounds so that turned into a field goal drive for the Steelers kind of a, a turning point right before halftime really. Uh, But what we saw last night is a a Pittsburgh receiving core that really is going to miss Martavis Bryant for the next three games still with that suspension. Hayward Bay targeted seven times, caught four balls for 58 yards. Marcus Wheaton had seven targets. He had three for 55. It was Heath Miller who really stepped up to pick up the extra slack. He caught eight balls for 84 yards on 11 targets. And Antonio Brown, thanks to a very, very late touchdown, two seconds left getting into the end zone. Hauled in nine passes for 133 yards and a score on 11 targets. Even when this game was still, still up in the air, Antonio Brown extended his streak of five or more catches in a game to 33 straight games, which is actually pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. uh, you talk about a guy that in a full-point PPR league, went first overall in plenty of leagues. The only thing that bothers me about Antonio Brown, and we talked about this in the office a bit this morning, is that the Steelers still insist upon using him as their primary punt returner. That, to me, just seems foolish, given how important he is to this offense.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of a strange strategy for them to use when we know that like Bell and him... they they comprise basically the whole offense at least as long as they're going to be without martavis bryant and even when they have martavis bryant uh it seems that it seems that there's an underlying character you know unreliability a a distrust factor with him that explains why his snap counts have been limited even though he's easily better than marcus wheaton like something quite literally like at least one and a half times as good as marcus wheaton is and they still leave him on the bench so much of the time and it's like why would they, why would they do that um but yeah so i, I think it's got to be something you know r- not necessarily just the suspension but something related to the way they see him behave off the field or in practice that they're just not letting him on the field um but yeah that's with without Antonio Brown, it's like, what do you think happens here? Like, do you think Lavian Bell catches 140 passes? Like, the the offense just sinks. It's over. Um, and even with Ben Roethlisberger being one of the very best quarterbacks in the league and generally underrated, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I thought Roethlisberger gets a lot of credit for that game yesterday. Like, not having Martavis Bryant, not having Bell playing in you know you know on the road against the Patriots, where they're just always so much better, so unfavorable for the whoever the visitors are. And he he still had a he had them really close, kind of. I mean, obviously the garbage time touchdown made it look closer than it was. But um, yeah, I, with that said, I don't know that uh, Roethlisberger is good enough to remain uh, an above average producer if Antonio Brown should miss any time. So um, it seems like madness to me, especially when it's like they kind of have to be prepared to lose those two games while they're without Bell. I mean, it's if anything, just just put <laughs> our guy Dre Archer somebody back there. Don't. Don't uh, don't put the one guy you just cannot replace at all back there. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of
1: sense. Now the Steelers, the late
2: touchdown did give them
1: twenty-one. Uh, on the road against New England, but they left a lot of points on the table in this game, too. So I think they were moving the ball pretty effectively. They were running it well, too. The offensive line seemed like it was opening up some nice holes for D'Angelo Williams. Uh, Williams a bit slimmed down, got the pink hair going right now. 21 carries, 127 yards, everything six yards per carry. Only caught one ball for five yards. They really didn't throw to the running backs at all. But he got hosed because at the goal line, the Steelers turned to Will Johnson, their fullback, for a couple of carries and... Who knows? That's just uh, hammers, right? Big East.
2: big running backs are good at getting one yard. That's we know this. It was written in the scriptures.
1: It's strange that the the guy that gets you six yards per carry isn't good enough to get you one.
2: Well that's the thing. We don't need six here. What do you not understand about this? We need one. You should you should as obviously as possible try to get did, only one. Did you already forget who Zach Crockett was? Is? Yeah. Yeah. See yeah. it works. Big running backs. It's just it's good science big running backs
1: definitely a thing marcus wheaton uh, i thought he was kind of disappointing last night three catches 55 yards again on seven targets he's and not good he had a couple of drops i, I just i could see him being almost useless once bryant gets back
2: that guy should have had the ca- career trajectory that nate washington somehow keeps getting doomed to like nate washington is like the marcus wheaton that should have been and you know like obviously he, w- he was with the steelers for a pretty much one-to-one comparison there uh, but yeah, Wheaton's just not good, in my opinion. He, sh- he should be like a fourth receiver on some team, not a second or third. That day may not be that far off. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting. Week one,
1: DraftKings will be hosting the biggest fantasy football contest ever, giving out over $10 million in prizes. Go to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code RotoWire to play for free for your shot at one million dollars in cash prizes in the Week One Play Action Contest. That's promo code RotoWire for free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Let's start talking about building lineups for Week One. There's so much to do here as far as looking at different types of contests. I mean, of course, the Millie Maker, two million to first place this week. $1 million to second place, $20 entry fee. I'm going to have at least one lineup going in there. But I think building a lineup for week one, whether it's cash game, whether it's tournament, it's more of an inside-out process for me. Usually, I kind of build around the stars I like and then look for value that fits in. I think for sure in week one, I'm building around the cheap pieces because there are a lot of things that have changed since the price lists were all revealed. Like The games launched, I think, in a month ago or even longer in some cases – With that, you have prices that were designed to fit teams that were completely different at that time. Of course, Devontae Adams, now a starter for the Packers, $4,400. Ownership on Devontae Adams, likely to be very high. In a similar boat, Eddie Royal, $3,900, going to have a much more prominent role for the Bears. So I, I just think that you look at players like that, and you have to really pick the ones you like the most, a handful, maybe it's a multiple lineup situation, and then you go in and you fill in the spots with the best possible players Cost-wise, because you're, you're going to save so much money on Adams for what he should give you compared to receivers that might cost 7500 right? You're saving $3,000 on Devontae Adams because he's at least a $7,500 player if he's priced with Jordy Nelson's injury factored in.
2: Yeah, I definitely work bottom-up when I make lineups. That goes for any sport, I guess, just because I... I feel like I can identify guys that I like to safely outproduce their price range, in which case, wh- how can I reason that they shouldn't be in there? Um, because if you can put, if you can put, go with a guy like, yeah, Devante Adams at 4,400 or whatever, um, basically penciling in the production of somebody who's at least 6,000, that gives you, that could be the difference between going from, you know, a guy with a, you know, a difference between like a Gronk and a Greg Olson or something like that. So, uh, it doesn't it's not like the the higher projected guys so reliably reach their higher projections that you should you know have just like an iron you know rule that you follow that process or you should at least consider especially in tournament settings like this uh going a little bit against your your initial intuition um just because yeah it's like even when we're most certain about certain things it's like probably no better than 40 to 50% chance they actually happen. So recognize your own fallibility, creating some variation if you're doing multiple lineups is good. Um but yeah, it's like man, the, the other the the other opportunities for values like that just don't exist. So they kind of have to make the initial building block like for instance, I'm going with just a ton of Danny Woodhead on draftKings. Like I'm, I'm I've got 3 millionaire makers reserved. I'm, I'm going to if there's still more left, I'm going to add two more, I think. Um, But yeah, it's like I go with someone like Woodhead, who I think, you know, there's a decent chance he leads his team in receptions. He had 75 two years ago. Um, Melvin Gordon's not getting the greatest endorsements as a passing down option. Antonio Gates suspended. Ladarius Green has a concussion. Um, That's that's a lot of usage that I think is reliable. And for his price range, there's just like no one even close. So I'm getting him in on probably at least 60 percent of mine. Um, But yeah, otherwise, that, that gives me. The versatility to you know have one lineup with adrian peterson and one with julio jones or something like that so it lets you cover some of the the bases that you can you can see happening but otherwise wouldn't be able to uh, create the funding to to get action
1: on yeah i mean there have been a lot of changes at running back i mean just the fact that melvin gordon isn't looking like an every down back for the chargers that is a change from when the prices first came out i like woodhead at 3700 a few other backs people may consider I I mean Alfred blue at 3600 is just cheap as a starter i don't love him against the chiefs but he's the guy the volume
2: could be there you got benny cunningham at yeah, a flat three thousand dollars <laughs> i mean that should... guy caught uh 46 passes or something 45 or 46 last year um yeah so that in ppr scoring like if, if trey mason's out think if it just takes so little for cunningham to reach a value that's like clearly productive and advantageous for you I even wonder if Trey
1: Mason is active that still Cunningham could have a larger role than he typically would simply because Mason's missed so much time with that hamstring injury, yeah. so that's a, that's a factor as well
2: and i it's worth mentioning I think Cunningham is good like I think he's i think he's going to start for someone eventually in his career, so he's already he's definitely explosive he was really productive in college. we know he can catch the ball with that p p r scoring especially as as the Rams take on a defense that we know won't let the receivers get open. Who's going to catch the ball, Jared Cook? I'm not. I'm not betting on that. I mean, he might, but he- it's, it's going to be ugly
1: for Nick Foles. It's going to yeah. be checking it down. Hopefully, to Cunningham a lot if you're using him. But three thousand is just a great price for a guy that may be lined up to start, depending on the availability of Trey Mason. Uh, the Dallas running back situation has only become more cloudy since the prices were revealed. Uh, Joseph Randall's at fifty nine hundred, Darren McFadden at forty four hundred, and Christine Michael who. Actually, he may not be eligible to receive points since he actually changed teams. So I, I, would, oh, yeah. I, I would
2: advise against Christine Michael for this week. Yeah, don't, don't, don't pick week. Christine Michael on DraftKings. You'll notice that they have the, the announcement saying Michael Vick will not accumulate points for yesterday's game. Um, I, I would have to imagine the same principle applies with Michael. Um, so it applies. So here's the deal. We'll pass this along. This is actually really important because you might see the Michael
1: Vick warning because he's first. And you think, well, okay, whatever. He's a backup. Uh, you got to look at this and also see that James Jones, because he oh, was previously on no other James rosters, Jones. no points for James Jones this week. Fred Jackson probably wouldn't be using him. Terrence West, don't want to use him. there it is.
2: Michael is not eligible.
1: Yeah, Christine Michael, one of the players you can't use this week. Well, you could use him, but he's not going to accrue any points. Sure,
2: man, use him. They can't take don't, him out don't. of the pool. Yeah, so don't, don't use him.
1: <laughs> That's just giving giving a spot away. So
2: do not use those players check, this week. Check that warning thing on DraftKings for any players that yeah. You, yeah,
1: just check it. Click through it. Jordan Todman also he already played so he wasn't going to accrue points this week anyway, but always click through those warnings. They are extremely helpful on DraftKings and the other big change is Mario aside from running back. I mean Tevin Coleman the price on him was kind of priced more like a timeshare with Devontae freeman he's going to get the start he's 4800 that matchup against the eagles uh, doug martin when the prices came out probably looked like he was going to be in the timeshare with charles sims instead it looks like martin's going to be the lead back again he's 4500 against the titans i kind of like that price on doug martin
2: yeah he'll have extremely high usage uh at, at, he might be the most owned running back really uh just because that price he, he can catch passes people forget that he's like a 50 catch guy when he's playing three downs and so yeah if mike evans is limited rank martin even higher because that that ppr floor helps him um but yeah it's it's tevin coleman for me is mostly kind of a tournament type because i i love him as a prospect i think he's awesome i think he's going to be really really good um the matchup i'm not sure about as much uh there's there's kind of like colliding uh variables to keep in mind like one is that and this is in Kevin coleman's favor it's just a highly projected it's a it's a game that's projected to score a lot of points and he's at home um so that that in itself is good because it it's touchdown shares available um the other thing is philadelphia runs probably a higher tempo than any team in the league so especially if um you know the the eagles are you know scoring quickly when they score and not doing you know grinding drives that eat up a lot of clock uh that could equal more plays for the Atlanta offense in general because both they need to up their tempo to match the pace and just because the, the Eagles run through their drives faster than most teams so that those two things are in Tevin Coleman's favor the thing that bugs me is just that hey it's you know it's his first game we don't really know what that offense is going to look like specifically now that Dirk Cater is gone and uh, I mean, it, sh- it should be a lot of work for uh, Colin. It-, it is Kyle Shanahan who's there, right? Okay, so yeah, they're they're gonna run the ball, and in history says that that whole you know kubiak tree of people shanahan tree can can coach running pretty well um but yeah the eagles are just loaded in the front seven they got a good front three on their defensive line and then their linebackers their inside linebackers are the best probably in the league because they have kiko Alonso, michael kendricks and then uh Demiko ryan's jordan hicks as backups so they just have really really good linebackers and um yeah, it's it's not the greatest matchup in that sense. But yeah, it, it, at 4,500, with the way that I evaluate Coleman as a prospect, I definitely am going to have a little bit of him in the millionaire maker. Taking a look at the starting quarterbacks
1: whose roles have become more clear or simply been defined since... Uh, we looked back at the price list from a few weeks ago. Tyrod Taylor, $5,000 going to be, I think, heavily owned in tournaments. I mean, you have a mobile quarterback, even though he's thrown, I think, what, 35 passes that have counted in four years in the league as a backup in Baltimore. I mean, there's still going to be a lot of interest because of what he can do with his legs. It's a matchup against the Colts where if the Colts can move the ball against that Buffalo defense, the Bills may have to air it out a little bit later in the game. But I think this game actually plays pretty close, being that it's in Buffalo and that defense is legit. But you've got Tyrod Taylor at 5,000. You've got Kirk Cousins at 5,000. I'll even throw Ryan Fitzpatrick at 5,500 in here with the matchup against the Browns. Because you think about the Jets' weapons. I mean, Chris Ivory, when healthy, is a pretty good running back. Then you've got Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall working in tandem as receivers. Like I think any of these three are viable options if you're looking to go cheap at the quarterback position for the tourneys this week.
2: Yeah, I'm probably going to skip Cousins and Fitzpatrick, Cousins just because I don't think he's very good, and I think the Miami defense is going to be better than people think. Um, Fitzpatrick I'm also off on, both because he's 500 more than Tyrod, and also because I don't think the Jets will need to throw the ball to win that game. I think they'll very specifically try not to throw it very much, um, because two things. I I think Cleveland's going to turn it over, and I think they're going to punt often, so uh, I think the Cleveland defense in general wears down before the Jets both because the Jets are just a better defense in general and because I think Ivory is better suited to produce as a runner and Bilal Powell even better suited to producing as a runner than Isaiah Kroll or Duke Johnson might be going against again the Jets defense that I consider better between the two so I'm off of Fitzpatrick I love Tyrod though I mean he's I I I don't know exactly there's a wide range of possibilities I guess you can imagine with him including one being that he just totally falls on his face however um I tend to think that like you were saying being in Buffalo is good Indianapolis like great as Andrew Luck is he does turn the ball over so Buffalo has a good chance to get um you know a higher than average play count both because Luck scores more than the average quarterback and because he turns it over more um so hopefully more possessions result and you know keep a favorable tempo but uh, the other thing is, the, the Colts' run defense was not very good last year. Lashawn McCoy is a—he's going to play, but he's a bit gimpy. So it's easy for me to imagine the Buffalo running game posting big numbers and uh, Tyrod Taylor having a larger share of it than he would in almost any other circumstance, because both because of uh, Lashawn McCoy being healthier and because of you know not 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 seeing run defense that vulnerable in general. So I like Tyrod Taylor. I'm probably going to have like something like 20 25% exposure to him in the millionaire maker although i might stay away from him a little bit in cash games like i i went with brady for like all my stuff on thursday probably going to look at somebody more like bradford for cash game lineups just because i i'm not worried about his usage or his viability as a passer but uh tournament setting tyrod taylor at that price is a great value i think yeah i, I just wonder how high the ownership rates will be surprisingly high i think it'll surprise how high it is but i still think it'll be worth it because of just how much you can spend everywhere else and you can get your differentiation elsewhere on your roster it doesn't have right, to be so, from the
1: quarterback spot it, it like, won't
2: be higher than something like god i mean we're, we're still talking about a slate that includes aaron Rodgers, andrew luck Everybody but Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger, like Tyrod Taylor, can't possibly be more than like the eighth most owned or something like that. Well, yeah, especially with
1: Eli going up against the Cowboys and Romo going Romo's up against the Giants, too. and then the Bradford Ryan matchup. There are cheap quarterbacks, so yeah, it's not like he'll be at an overwhelmingly high rate. This is this is the one of the things I like a lot more about daily football than daily baseball because I feel like when you're when you're looking at pitching in in daily baseball, it's a lot like looking for your quarterback in a daily football setting but there are always i feel like there are always more quarterbacks that i like than pitchers maybe it's because you only need one quarterback on DraftKings, but in in pitching you need two yeah but even still even even like in a one pitcher context there are some days where i just don't like any pitchers and i always like at least a few quarterbacks because you can see places where there are going to be plenty of points
2: yeah you could probably give like a just a third of the nfl slate to me and i'd still be like yeah i like these two these two quarterbacks. I mean, that's just the nature of the league. Obviously, you look at the passing stats now compared to ten years ago, compared to twenty years ago, especially. Um, obviously, the numbers are more freely available than they've ever been.
1: So, looking at the receivers, we mentioned before. I mean, Devonte Adams and Eddie Royal among the the more discounted plays. Uh, Terrence Williams, I think, is sort of interesting at four thousand on DraftKings. I mean, it's. The thing about him is that he's he's flashed pretty impressive yards per target numbers in back-to-back seasons. I know Dez is going to be a target monster, but Dez is also always going to draw extra attention. It just seems like Terrence Williams could still do better than what we've seen over the last two seasons. He'd become more of a like a 60 catch guy potentially if he can be more reliable when they do throw it his way.
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely in play as a tournament type. I don't think he's a very good player. I think his high efficiency numbers are just a direct reflection of how great romo is but uh the other thing it specifically as it relates to like this game uh obviously the giants are going to go doing everything they can to stop des bryant what's what's kind of unique about that situation is in in my opinion anyway at least when you compare them to the context that players like antonio brown uh, odell beckham demarius thomas all play in julio jones dallas is one of the very worst teams at scheming to the benefit of their star players like des bryant is not targeted enough in that offense he was not targeted enough last year they don't they're not as creative as todd haley is with antonio brown moving him around you know coordinating the entire play just to get the ball to him that never happens like if des bryant gets the ball it's just because he's beating people and because romo spotted him so um des doesn't i if, if new york somehow does come up with some coverage combination to actually slow des I don't have confidence that you know Jason Garrett, whoever it is in charge in in the final sense of that offense. I don't have trust in them uh, making a counter tactic to get Des more opportunities. So if that happens, then yeah, Williams has to catch some things. uh, Jason Witten has to. Um, But yeah, I, I mean in general. I don't think the Giants can scheme in any way to stop Dez. So uh, that that kind of precludes Williams from the cash game consideration for me.
1: So I was kind of looking at 4,500 and less as a cutoff of a potential value. I mean, John Brown, you think about Michael Floyd, he's supposed to play. He's coming off of the three dislocated fingers. The Cardinals are home against the Saints. That game's one of the higher over-unders on the board. I think it's the third or fourth highest total, if I'm not mistaken. John Brown's only 4,500 for guys that can get downfield and make a big play like that who aren't necessarily going to be high volume because with Fitz and floyd around there's going to be a pretty even distribution of targets for the most part and i think brown may even be third in terms of the number of targets he gets but he might be the best big play threat of that trio right now given the state of floyd coming off that injury do you consider john brown at 4500 to be a nice
2: value this week yeah he's definitely in play i i don't know i was surprised that you said that's how uh that that high of an over under just because i it's neither offense was particularly inspiring at the end of last year and the, the the personnel changes that have occurred since um in the case of new orleans don't give me much faith in uh, their direction as a team um but yeah i mean there new orleans has been for so long this thing that's like oh yeah give them 30 points in the spread or automatic or not the spread but the you know the over under automatically um the the volumes and the, like the specific uh schemes play calling tendencies that allowed that to happen seem to be going the other way this year like you're not going to run that same traditional sean payton offense if marquez colston is your number two receiver number one receiver i mean they just gave him a pay cut uh their number 3 receiver is what Brandon Coleman no one, I don't I don't think Brandon Coleman's very good I don't think they do either and they didn't replace they didn't replace Jimmy Graham so I don't see the explosiveness with the Saints I would have loved I probably would have liked them a lot still if they had Kenny Stills but they don't so uh CJ Spiller being out this week means what like Mark Ingram's going to be their th- third pass catcher or something
1: yeah i think ingram kind of becomes more intriguing right now oh, totally. Spill her down because this is a team that's probably going to run it more anyway this game is supposed to be close i think it's a situation where the cardinals are slight favorites yeah they're two and a half point favorites the 48 and a half over under is
2: a half point lower than the green bay chicago matchup isn't that hard to believe huh um i mean not i guess not that much just because i can easily imagine green bay Approaching, um like some of these over-unders on their own um as they do any week but especially against uh, the bears who i think just have awful personnel on defense even if they're well coached um but yeah i i, I like ingram a lot uh, the, the close game thing definitely helps assuming that that projection is accurate and uh yeah he has a bit of pass catching skill even though they brought in spiller to do that i thought even with spiller around i thought ingram was like a 40 catch candidate this year so if if i don't know what to make of the arizona defense at this point i guess i should mention quickly because todd bowles is gone and i'm not inclined to think that like bruce arians just has so many connections in the nfl that he can just go get another todd bowles um like he should have been hired as a head coach a couple years ago um but yeah without todd bowles there there was some clear instances of that defense overachieving while he was there their personnel is not very good for how good the defense was um so i don't know whether arizona's defense will be that great uh if, if there is a regression that I think might occur with Bowles gone, then I'd, I'd love Ingram. I'm, I, like I'm probably going to be using Ingram quite a bit, I should just mention. Um, and if, if Spiller is out, um, I might even consider Kyrie Robinson, who's 3,000. Um, so, yeah, that, that's another one to put in that Benny Cunningham category, I guess. A couple other receivers that caught my eye
1: as being particularly cheap. Devin Funchess, of course, his role a lot different with Kelvin Benjamin down for the year with a torn ACL. Devin Funchess is only 3,800 matching up against Jacksonville. Yeah, maybe Philly Brown and Greg Olson are considered guys ahead of him on the depth chart as far as targets go. I mean, maybe Greg Olson's the, the best play of the week in that Carolina passing game. But Funches at 3,800 should be at least a consideration for tournaments out there if you're looking for a cheap flex option or that third receiver.
2: Yeah, I love Funches as a prospect. I can't tell if he has any traction with that team right now. He missed some time in training camp, and um, I guess it's possible that he'll be behind who who do they even have other than cory brown is there a second risk? jericho cotry is that where we're at? jericho cotry yep okay so i don't we, it's hard to tell whether funchess is even going to get snaps over those guys so it i can't yeah it's definitely a tournament only thing for me especially just because there's guys like eddie royal stevie johnson in the similar price range um kind of bottom barrel guys who i think you can safely project uh n- noteworthy roles for um but yeah I, I love funchess as a prospect so hope hopefully Hopefully, at least just because I like being right about prospects, I'm hoping they put him on the field and give him some chances because I think he'll I think he will uh, do well if they just give him the targets. It's just a matter of earning their earning their trust that, you know, he'll he'll make the play on the field. I'm glad you brought up
1: Stevie Johnson, though, home against the Lions. Lions corners, I think, are significantly improved. This is not the secondary that you could easily just roll starters against week in and week out and and feel good about it. But at 3,700, a guy that can work out of the slot and be consistent in that facet of the game uh, with Antonio Gates uh, being suspended, Ladarius Green being concussed. We talked about this a little bit earlier this seems like a good spot for Stevie Johnson. I'm much more inclined to go with Stevie Johnson as a cheap option at 3700 than to pay up for Keenan Allen as more of an upper-tier option. Oh, for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think I would project Johnson more outright just because I, I think uh, the, the Detroit corners and, and their secondary scheming in general are quite good, so I don't know whether people are going to get really open against that defense. And when people aren't open, the slot targets, the tight ends, the flats are what get the targets. So that's why I like Johnson and Woodhead both. Cecil Shorts, 3,600. I think he's kind of interesting if you're
1: looking for just the the random play that no one's really going to like. The guy that's a, a number two receiver in an offense that where most of the targets are going to go to DeAndre Hopkins, but someone else has to get a few looks on the other side. He has shown some big playability during his time in Jacksonville. Injuries have slowed him down. Things get a little more crowded on the depth chart. Just a name to file away if you really want to get some separation there at the bottom. But not really seeing much else as far as $3,000 guys that I like. I mean, is there anyone else you like as a a cheap receiver to consider?
2: Um, I'm taking one last glance here. I'm not really... I'm in the I'm in the stretch of the of the rankings where there's uh, offerings such as Nick Tune and Letter uh, to Hankerson at three thousand is another. Yeah, there we go. It's similar to the Cecil Shorts
1: in the sense that ownership might be pretty low. I think Hankerson ownership would be actually higher. He's a flat three thousand. Part of the Atlanta Philadelphia game. If you think the uh, Roddy White Julio Jones ownership rates are going to be really high, but you want to get exposure to the Atlanta offense, Hankerson at three thousand dollars would be that guy. I, whether he gets one target or eight is anyone's guess. I mean, like, it could be anywhere on that spectrum, and it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me that much. But I think with Hankerson, you have a a big, fast guy who has played in Kyle Shanahan's offense before in Washington, now has a a better quarterback who's at home in a matchup where if there's a weakness in that Philadelphia defense, it probably is going to be the secondary based on the quality of that front seven. So I, I just think that's one of your, like, deep targets if you're just looking to get some separation there as you move uh into the last couple roster spots
2: i agree with that i'll I'll mention real quick i'm actually going to get some uh action on kamar aiken uh who's uh 3300 going against Denver. I think the Ravens are going to get crushed, so I think that there will be passing volume available. I'm not expecting much yardage or touchdowns for Joe Flacco, but I think at least garbage receptions will be there. Uh someone other than Steve Smith has to catch the ball. It doesn't look like it'll necessarily be the tight end position uh, and Forsett can't get all of them. So I think I think aiken is worth a shot in PPR scoring cuz it's, it's easy for me to imagine something like 6 catches, 60 yards or something tight end is
1: also kind of an intriguing for this week in the sense that you have martellus bennett priced at just 4300 and i think if that price had been set uh with kevin white still being in in the fold or knowing knowing that he was going to be out of the fold rather that you'd have a, a player that would cost maybe a thousand dollars more like for me martellus bennett and greg olson should cost probably the same this week and there's a thousand dollar difference between them
2: yeah i mean i would i would probably make geez i I think I would make Bennett the more expensive one, actually, just because I mean, this is a. There's no reason for people to know this stupid bit of trivia, but Martellus Bennett, for some reason, does really well in week ones. So this is going back. I want to say at least three years. I don't have the numbers available, but he starts hot. It's always the finish that he lets people down with. So, with if if Jeffrey's legitimately gimpy, I I I just love Bennett at that price. I might have I might struggle to have him at any less than like eighty percent action. I think it's worth it
1: to just pay up for one of those two, whichever you feel better about. I think Bennett's volume should definitely be there, though, and red zone targets are never really a problem.
2: Man, at prices like that in PPR scoring, I'd almost consider doing uh, the tight end flex Olsen Bennett type of thing uh, just because, I mean, Greg Olson's going to be their number one receiver. Uh, That might not mean a lot, but it could easily mean, you know, six catches and a touchdown. So it should be at least 10 targets. Yeah, so uh, that's something to consider if you're looking for basically like wide receiver three function from potentially a tight end eligible player. So if you're looking to go really against the grain, want to save some
1: money at tight end or maybe for that flex spot, I mean, Jordan Cameron at 3,800 is kind of interesting against Washington. Uh, Tyler Eifert, against the raiders 3500 ownership rate there probably won't be too bad and then of course richard rogers 2500 if you want to go really cheap and if get-
2: we're if we're going to get all psyched about Devonte adams then we got to get psyched about that too at least as a tournament play because um it's not a guarantee that adams just eats up all of those jo- leftover targets after Cobb has his say um so yeah i I think Rodgers makes a ton of sense. His athletic profile coming out of Cal was basically the same as Jermichael Finley, and we saw Rodgers work with him. So, uh, yeah, 2,500, I might almost do, like, um, I might do a Martellus uh, tight end Rodgers flex type of thing uh, in that scenario, that's that's very cheap. I mean, twenty
1: five hundred is cheaper than the defense that I'm going to use. So you, you yeah, have to you have to like that. Uh, looking at some defensive options here, I mean, for me, the Jets seem like a fantastic play. You mentioned Todd Bowles taking over as their head coach. This is a defensive unit that I think has a ton of talent, and he's done more with less. In the past, you factor in it's a home matchup against the Browns. Josh McCowan and company, a banged up Browns offense already, which really has no no athletic receivers at the present time. Like they are, for some reason, they decided to waive Terrell Pryor because they wanted to claim uh, Robert Turbin. That was that um, was their that was their latest great move. I'm going to thoroughly enjoy
2: Terrell Pryor being good for someone else. I hope, man. I hope somebody picks him up right away. Somebody good and on. Un- on Cleveland Brown like in the every possible way. Uh but yeah, I mean let's 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 be brief on Cleveland versus the Jets. Darrell Reeves and Antonio Cromartie are going against Josh McCown. Right. And it's Brian
1: Hartline and Dwayne Bowe running routes for Josh McCown against those corners. It's a toss up. I don't know who has the advantage there. <laughs> Twenty nine hundred for the Jets defense. I think that's a, a really strong way to go. Seattle the most expensive defense this week against the Rams. That could be fine even without Cam Chancellor thirty four hundred so an extra five hundred there to get a share of them. I like the Bengals in season long and in daily thirty two hundred on Draftkings is the price there. I'm surprised the Browns defense at thirty one hundred actually costs more than the jets defense in that head to head matchup
2: I don't understand that at all. um I, I, yeah I have no theories here. I don't understand.
1: Texans are three thousand they're home against the chiefs. I think that could actually be obviously a good play too. Their pass rush should be. Just fierce as it often is. Uh, but you add Jadavian Clowney to the mix along with J.J. Watt. They added Vince Wilfork this off season. I feel like people didn't talk that much about that move, but this is a front that's even more dangerous than it's been in the past. I know Alex Smith isn't necessarily a turnover machine, but this seems like a really tough spot for that Chiefs offense for Week One.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to make of what Clowney can do right away. He's back though, and that's that's great news. It really would suck if his career were completely derailed by that micro fracture surgery but he's supposedly just in for week one he's probably on some kind of limited snap count but he's in um but yeah the the chiefs aren't gonna if they can shut down charles smith doesn't seem like the kind of player who can create points on his own uh it's just it's pretty hard to stop charles a lot of the time um as far as other defenses to consider i actually really they're cheaper than the texans i really like both uh i mean this everybody knows that the dolphins are playing kurt cousins so uh probably probably want to consider them um but also i I really like the broncos at home wade phillips uh i really love i love wade just in general grimace Uh, yeah wade's the man um and he's 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 at home okay so that that always helps with the broncos quite a bit more than most teams and the ravens are, are one of the teams that lose the most when they go on the road they don't have enough talent to score on that defense i don't think like i I think i don't understand how the broncos don't kill them in that game um yeah it's like a high volume passing scheme with mark Tressman there no talent to actually execute it seems like a bad matchup to me especially because the broncos actually have a ton of if you thought von miller was good before wait till wade uses him as a three four outside linebacker like he's gonna crack skulls yeah, that Broncos
1: defense could be really, really strong this year. It's a good call on Wade Phillips.
2: They do have over TJ there. Ward suspended for week one, but I, I guess I just don't care. It's the Ravens. It,
1: yeah, the, the Ravens. It's just the lack of depth in the receiving core, especially yeah, exactly. that makes you look at them and just say, how are they going to move the ball consistently? It's going to be the Justin Forsett show. And it's like Forsett the, will have to be
2: an absolute hero for them to compete in that one, I think. So we've talked a lot about
1: value, kind of looking at some of the top end options to mix in around some of these cheaper plays. I mean, you're going to see a lot of people pay up for the 8600 on Aaron Rodgers going on the road to Chicago against a defense that was just awful at times last year for most of last year. Is there any reason to think that Rodgers is fool's gold at 8600 this week?
2: No, uh, the only the, the only worry I would ever have with Rodgers is that he ends the game too early because he just hangs 28 on you know 15 pass attempts so that's that's a risk i mean uh, the the bears don't have good personnel in the secondary and as as good of defensive coaches as john fox and vic fangio might be i just don't see how they have the talent to stay with the best quarterback that i don't i'd, I'd say rogers is the best ever and i i'd, I'd and that alone makes it a bad matchup for the the bears obviously but if they do somehow make that a competitive game no one has better like five touchdown potential in a competitive game than Rodgers. so uh, if you pick Rodgers, just hope that the bears actually make a game of it
1: looking down more towards the second tier options you got matt ryan at 7500 home against the eagles eli manning at 7400 on the road against the cowboys romo 7300 on the other side of that matchup uh, philip rivers home against the lions i think Seventy one hundred Probably not going to pay the price there. But the other name that I think is worth thinking about, Sam Bradford, 6,900. So really both sides of the Eagles Falcons, I'd consider Ryan or Bradford as viable options. And I think I consider both Eli and Romo as options because I think those games will be as advertised as some high scoring shootouts
2: yeah definitely i I really like both romo and eli it's the only thing that i can break the tie with is the prices basically and then uh if i've got a bunch of lineups in maybe i'll i'll move to the other two guys just so that i don't have all my action on sam bradford but otherwise like in a vacuum i I can't advocate for romo at 73 eli at a 75 or sorry 74 over bradford at 6900 so um i'll probably get a bit of all of those guys and uh yeah ryan's also very good at 7500 if, if tevin coleman struggles to run the ball uh, against the eagles that's a huge game for ryan i have no doubt so um yeah there's there's a lot of scenarios to see pretty much all those quarterbacks doing really well the only real obvious fades that i would have are probably like guys like kaepernick and cam newton um otherwise it's like yeah, i don't like andrew luck on the road against buffalo's defense rex ryan i think uh, we'll find ways to take the ball from him. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's really hard to hate on most of the quarterbacks available. Yeah. I'm with you.
1: You might think that contrarian luck is a good idea, but it just isn't against that Buffalo defense on the road. Some of the top price running backs this week, of course, Jamal Charles at 7,900 on the road against Houston, Matt Forte home against the Packers at 7,800 Adrian Peterson, making his return against San Francisco at 7,700 and Eddie Lacey at 7,500 on the road in Chicago are you paying up for one of those top four backs on this slate
2: yeah Lacey's cheap enough that I think and especially with with Jordy Nelson out I think that's very good news for Eddie Lacey uh, because he's a really good pass catcher in addition to their main touchdown source on the ground against a defense that should be vulnerable with a miscast group of three four uh, personnel but Otherwise I'm definitely going at Adrian Peterson the most of that group. I I was saying in the office earlier to anyone who was unfortunate enough to be within earshot of me, I I think Peterson is just going to go crazy in this game because I don't see how San Francisco has the personnel to keep up with any particular team, let alone the team that has uh, a a Norv Turner offense led by Teddy Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson. I I think that'll be a blowout, but I think Peterson has probably the best multi-touchdown potential of all the running backs this week so i'll be paying up for him a little bit otherwise my favorite targets are probably jeremy hill at 71 demarco murray at 67 demarco murray is too low uh love demarco murray at he's that price. way too low at that price and uh look he's awesome and he's in chip kelly's offense like it's i feel like i've become a demarco murray fanboy i've got him everywhere man i've got
1: him in my primetime (laughs) league i've got him in the beat dvr league i got him in the stopa league i got him in the steak league like i'm in i think i'm in seven leagues he i have him on all of my four most important leagues. It's not. It's just. It's just where I ended up with him. It was two of those were auctions. Two were snake drafts. He fell further than I thought he should in the drafts. He went for a lot less than I thought he should in the Stopa league. In the Stake league, I didn't really know what to make of the market at the time. I just knew he was the back that I liked the most out of what was available. So I went ahead and po- I ponied up a little more cash for him there. But generally speaking, it felt like he was undervalued this draft season. And on DraftKings in Week One, I think Demarco Murray is about i don't know a thousand bucks underpriced
2: potentially if ryan matthews is priced at 3600 i don't understand how murray is at 6700 because murray at 6700 to me says you're projecting like 10 to 12 carries for ryan matthews which i wouldn't so i basically uh, short of an injury i have no idea how murray falls short of meeting value there because like i mean one two three four five six seven eight nine ten like 12th running back no not in that and the thing is Uh, he's even better in daily i think than season long because it's the injury risk that makes him any kind of consideration for passing in season long and if you can isolate it by matchup what matchups other than this one do you have reason to believe he would be more likely to go off i mean the 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 over under the spread are both favorable the personnel and the scheme uh, the opposing team's personnel it all seems to favor murray and uh yeah i'll definitely have i don't know i don't know how exactly i'll have his splits with my other running backs but i might have him owned more often than peterson just because it's a thousand less um even if i in the outright have peterson as my favorite running back yeah i think the tricky thing for me
1: this week is just seeing all the cheap backs that i like we talked about benny cunningham earlier at 3000 danny wood at 3700 even darren sproles at 3300 in that matchup against the falcons it's like why not if he gets you 10 or 12 points at that price you're way ahead of where you need to be on a dollar basis i would
2: say i would need to be going like very mass multi-entry kind of scenario to do that just because i can't convince myself to take him over i think woodhead's basically like the the ideal outcome of sproles but it's like somewhat it's somewhat solidified by his role ahead of time whereas sproles can be like a game kind of pace sort of victim but yeah i, I totally see the reasoning especially because even last year he remained a, an excellent big play threat the eagles made some kind of passing comment about getting him the ball more this year i don't know how they can really do that i mean if they just if they just like yeah give give jordan matthews who already had a pretty big year last year something like half of jeremy macklin's output and then split up you know, only give like a fifth of that to Aguilor and maybe then they'll have enough room for Matthews and Sprouls to all, see sizable roles too but uh yeah definitely a, a tournament type for me if only because uh woodhead and cunningham are on the slate and basically have the similar ideal role but it's somewhat built in just as, as the nature of their circumstances let's take a look at some of the top receiver options uh, odell beckham and julio
1: jones the two most expensive jones at 9300 beckham at 9200 of course beckham matching up against dallas how many times are we going to see the highlight of that catch while that game is
2: on I don't I, I hope like a, a dozen times. during the game at least could I'll, sp- I'm hoping for a billion I'd uh, I'd like to see a billion replays of it you got a shot at a billion
1: definitely um, got a shot but uh Demarius Thomas also priced up 9100 Des at 8700 I mean
2: this slate I have I feel compelled to primarily like I'm going with a little Adrian Peterson and, and you know DeMarco Murray Jeremy Hill stuff stuff like that at running back but I'm generally going cheap at running back because I f- I can't pass on these receivers like Odell Demarius Dez uh Julio are all synonymous for me like even Demarius Thomas who's probably the least favored out of those four he he might have a bigger role than expected, not only because Julius Thomas is gone, but because Emmanuel Sanders was limited for a lot of training camp. Like He's definitely in for that game. Um, but the other things I like are the, the Ravens defense almost always takes a big step back on the road, let alone going to the place where all teams disproportionately see setbacks with their performances going to Denver. And uh, I don't think that Denver will run particularly well on the Ravens. So basically, I think that that game is – as i've said broncos win uh safely but i don't see the production coming from the running game until late when it's like low low yard per carry the whole time um but the touchdowns probably not coming until just you know getting into scoring position which i think will have a lot to do with Demaria. so i love him i want to get some of him I, i need to get a lot of julio against the eagles i need a ton of julio i need a ton of odell uh Actually I would probably I mean I, a lot of people rank Dez probably ahead of Demarius this week but Dez is number 4 for me behind Julio O'Dell and Demarius although the, the 400 400 lower dollars on Dez um, probably might get me to get even action on him even if even if I don't have him rated as highly as the other three I'm
1: also amazed too that you can look at the elite receivers you don't even get to Kelvin Johnson at eighty five hundred, which yeah, is cheaper I, than he normally is. I'm stupid AJ for Green it. AJ Green is seventy eight hundred dollars against the Raiders. Ugh i know you have yeah. to rely on andy dalton but 7800 dollars for aj green <sighs> just seems like a steal and then you get to the the jordan matthews price 7200 as part of the yeah the shootout to
2: be the most known receiver i bet i or I, adam
1: Devonte adams just might oh, be because yeah, he's right. 5500 but they're yeah. both going to be extremely i'm gonna high. have
2: at least 80 percent on matthews I, I think at that price he's just auto- he's a top five receiver to me in fantasy this year so that's just automatic for me that'd be huge if that pays that way and brandon cooks at 7100 yeah, also in ppr the it, no cj spiller this week he is a like he's the best bet i think to catch 10 passes this week even though i also don't think he'll do more than like 110 yards and probably not a touchdown but like he 21 points get, he should get obscene target count this week like spiller was the whole fallback plan for replacing stills and you know dialing jimmy graham too it's like what do we do we think ingram's gonna go double digit receptions like i don't think he will do we think colson's gonna catch more than five i don't can we can coleman even catch three I don't see it. So, yeah, I love Cooks, too. I mean, there's just too many receivers I'm trying to fit in this week.
1: Make that 24 points from Cooks. If he's 10 for 110 without a TD, get the 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 yardage bonus on there, too. So it's like... Twenty four points for seventy one hundred. That's pretty nice. Got to
2: mention Steve Smith at sixty four hundred. He always has big week one games, and they don't have anyone else like Kamara Aiken and Forsett are the only people aside from like Crockett Gilmore who will even get targets. So Steve Smith, another yeah. It's it's gonna be no matter how accurate you are, it's like man, you gotta you gotta really hit high this week because i think there's a lot of points to be had with the way the slate lines up
1: yeah golden tate 6300 also cheap i mean how many how many lineups are you gonna have you gonna
2: have like 20 plus lineups no i think i'm gonna go with five uh, millionaire maker lineups depending on if i if my how my thursday friday college football things turn out
1: Well, I'm looking forward to week one. I mean, there's a lot of great matchups on the slate. I mean, we didn't really talk much about like Bucks Titans, but just to see like Jameis and and Mariota, Mariota in particular, I just really want to see what he can do at the NFL level. I like that matchup for him, but we talked about so many cheap quarterbacks because of this being the week one slate. I just don't see a case for really putting him into any of my lineups. For this opener,
2: I might have gotten one or two Mariota shares if uh, Tyrod weren't starting, but Tyrod Taylor's starting and he's cheaper and I think he's the better play outright. So, yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I really hope Mariota does well because I, I think he's a pretty likable player and it would it would be nice to see him succeed despite the horrible circumstances he was cruelly dropped into. But, uh, yeah, I'll probably be avoiding him mostly this week. Yeah, Mariota is the anti-Jameis. I would much rather see Mariota go off is, in that game than James. This is the James. symbolic battle between good and evil people. Take note. <laughs> this really is. And the I, course th- of history is going to be <laughs> determined on whether Jameis Winston can beat Mariota. Oh, man, I, 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 hope, I hope the Titans are just lighting it up on sunday don't I ne- let the I,
1: empire win I, I never never root for the titans but i have I, to the thing is i don't think it
2: happens I, th- I think they'll lose
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, no, james will throw that's for how, like that's how the real world works so yeah. james will probably go off mariota will turn the ball over
2: a james bunch james of times Winston will win the lottery mid-game as he throws his fourth touchdown pass <laughs> seems like a pretty likely
1: outcome at this point Thank you for listening to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Also, check out RotoWire for free for the next 10 days by going to RotoWire.com slash pod. Good luck in week one, both on DraftKings and on your season long matchups. For Mario Puig, I'm Derek Van Riper, the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back with you on Monday.